many of you brought a Bible tonight? Good, 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 good. Well, let's use those Bibles, if we could, and open them to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. As you know, uh, most of you know, we've been going through the book of 2 Corinthians verse by verse, and uh, I b hope and believe that you've been getting something out of it. I sure have been blessed by it. And, and uh, you know, I love going verse by verse. We don't always do that for sure. Uh, I know a lot of Sundays we'll, we'll just you know, take from a couple of different places, but I sure do like going verse by verse. You see the big picture, you begin to see the, the, the picture that God is painting and you see things in context, which really bring to life what's being said. So in 2 Corinthians chapter four, we've, we've started out uh, talking about some of the challenges that, that uh, the apostles had faced and some of the uh, things they had to respond to. One of the things in the, in the previous chapter had been the the, the need for somebody to, to send them a, a letter of commendation or recommend them or, you know, sort of a reference letter saying that they were fit to preach. And I love the, the line where he says, and he says, it, from the spirit of God, he says, you're our letter. We don't need somebody writing us a fancy letter that says we are who we are. You are the letter. Because if we really believe the gospel, if we really believe it is as, as powerful as, as, as the Bible says it is, if we really believe it is the power of God, not just to save you from hell, but to save you in this life from, from darkness and bring you into light, if we believe that, then we believe that your life can be known and read by all men and that your heart is something that the Holy Spirit has written on and you're a witness, not just, not just to the people directly connected to you, but all over the place in places you might not even know, you're a witness of what God is doing and what God can do and what God is, has done in your life. So this is a, this is an important thing. I know when we read that, uh, the verse where it says, you know, you're known and read by all men. Our first instinct is to say, I don't want to be known and read by anybody. I, 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 don't want to, I don't want people looking at me. But if we do believe that our life is hidden in Christ, if we believe that it's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me, if we really believe that the gospel has made a difference in our life, then you need to be known and read by somebody. You need to be okay with what Jesus said, that if you're a light, and in fact, he says, you are the light of the world. And he says that, he says, you're the light of the world and nobody takes a light and shoves it under a basket and says, you know, don't look at it. But they put it on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. So if you've got the light of the world in you, so much so that he calls you light. And in Ephesians 5, it says, you are light. Therefore, walk as children of light. It doesn't just say you have the light. It says you are light. So if you are, you should be okay with being put on a lampstand. Not to glorify yourself, but to glorify God. That's what Jesus said would happen, that people would see your work. But you notice, if you're just living a religious life, trying to do the best you could, people would see your work and they'd glorify you. They'd see your life and they'd say, you're living a good life, you're a good person. But we the redeemed, when we live out what God has put inside of us, that salvation that's in there, when we live it out, it doesn't glorify us, it glorifies Jesus. It glorifies the Father through Jesus. And that's, that's big, that's huge. That's, that's something to celebrate, and it's something not to be ashamed of. So that led us into 2 Corinthians 4, and I'm just enjoying it 
quite a bit because 2 Corinthians 4 starts out with the bang of the, the ministry of righteousness as opposed to the ministry of condemnation. How the ministry of righteousness, if the, if, if the law had glory, how much more does this ministry have glory? And it's not a fading glory, it's, it's an eternal glory. It's not something that's veiled, but the veil is lifted in Christ Jesus. So that is so awesome. Leading us into verse 7 where we left off last week. He says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We talked about how God spoke light into darkness and that same God that spoke light into darkness shone his light into your heart to show the glory of God in the face of Christ through you. You see, the gospel is not being preached by angels. The gospel is not being preached by God sending meteorites to earth and, and writing little messages on them for Russians to find. The gospel is being preached by people. That's the way he designed it to be. He could send angels. He could send a host of angels to every nation in the world to preach a message of the gospel. He's risen. He's risen indeed. But instead, he picked you. He picked us. He picked his church. We're the carriers of this life. We're the carriers of the message of the gospel, and that is a treasure, but that's not the only treasure. Thank God we've got that eternal life in us. We've got the eternal life. We've, got the, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We've got this on the inside of us, and he says, even though we're earthly vessels, we're not fancy, we're just, you know, your regular earthly vessels, they're clay pots. God put a treasure inside of us to show that this power is not from us, but it's from God. Verse 8, he says this. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despairing. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Now, what in the world is he talking about here? What, what kind of stuff is he talking about? Well, if you look at the, the, we're reading this entire letter, not only that, but you look at these different words, you look where else they're used in the New Testament. Every single one of them is referring to persecution. Every single one of them. Referring to what they had to go through to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. The kind of things they went up against. He not only reiterates this point throughout this book, but like I said, when you look at that word afflicted, you see what that means. Some people say, well, afflicted, it could be anything. It could be a, you know, it could be a blessing in disguise. No, no, no. If you look it up, it means evil has been pressed on you. And if we look, you look at the other places it's used in the New Testament, it's always tied to the persecution that came when the gospel came to a new place. When the gospel came and penetrated the hearts of men, there was always pushback. There was always persecution. And if we see what the Apostle Paul has said through the previous chapters and what he'll begin to say in the next few, you'll notice a trend here. That because he has chosen to take up the gospel and the cause of Christ, he's willing to go through some things to reach some people for Jesus. And it's worth it to him. It's far more than worth it. To him, it's not even a question of whether this was worth it or not. He is so sure of how powerful and how wonderful the gospel is that he's willing to go through anything to preach it, him and his colleagues. I want that kind 
of, of revelation of how great the gospel is and how great this message is that you begin to see the weightiness of it and the weightiness of the eternal glory that's waiting for us. This guy, and I know we're, we're picking out Paul because he wrote the letter. Of course, we know the Holy Spirit breathed it, but he used Paul to write it down and Paul experienced some things. This is the guy that kind of started the persecution against the Christians. He was the original. I mean, he wrote the, he wrote the, the greatest hits. Everybody's kind of doing a cover version of what he started. He hunted them down. It's not that he just said, we should stop letting Christians speak in the synagogue. It's not like he said, you know, we should, um, you know, if you, if you have a Christian relative, you probably shouldn't invite them over for Sabbath meal anymore. Now, this guy, the word persecuted inherently means to hunt down. He hunted Christians down. And if you read his testimony that he tells several times in the book of Acts, he says at one point, he says to, he admits to Jesus, but I even persecuted them unto death, which means I didn't just hunt them down and throw them in prison. I killed many of them. He understood what it was like to be a persecutor. But when he embraced the gospel of Jesus, he was often the tip of the spear going into places that didn't have the gospel before. Like I said last week, he had groupies following him around every town, every city he went, stirring up riots against him. Those are not the kind of groupies you want. You, you, you'd love to have people that come and say, you know, I heard you speak in Ephesus, and I just, I just wanted to come and support you in this new mission. I just wanted to come and amen you a little bit because I know you're preaching to a bunch of pagans. So I wanted to just come and pray for you while you're speaking. He didn't have as many of those. He had people that said, you know, I'm your biggest uh, fan. I come everywhere you go and tell people to throw rocks at your head. That's what I do. These are people that have jobs. These are people that have families, but more important than their jobs and their families are to start trouble and start riots wherever he preached. Not that they needed those people because the gospel in its essence is something that demands something of you. The moment you hear it, the message of the gospel preached in the power of the spirit, you see it right in the beginning of Acts. It pierces to the heart. When Peter preached that great message, he preached two wonderful messages at the beginning of the book of Acts. One of the responses that we see, it says they were pierced to the heart and they fell to their knees and said, what must we do to be saved? But not long after that, you see Stephen preaching a message. Similar message, also in the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's to a hard-hearted group of people. And it says they were cut to the quick. I don't know about you, but cut to the quick and pierced to the heart sounds pretty similar to me. But as they were cut to the quick, instead of falling to their knees and saying, what must I do to be saved? They got angry, acted like a bunch of homicidal toddlers. I know those words don't normally go together. <laughs> homicidal toddlers, is that a cartoon? It's not. But here's, you'll, I'll explain why I said that, because here's what they do. They, they cover their ears, and I'm not making this up. This isn't the word. They cover their ears and they yell at the top of their lungs so they don't have to listen anymore. They tear out their hair and they gnash their teeth and they say, we're going to kill this guy. Why? Well, the same message that pierced to the heart and caused repentance in one group cut to the quick and made another group angry because they had hardened their hearts against it. So wherever the apostle Paul and all these other apostles went, wherever they went, they preached in the power of the Spirit. Nobody could stay neutral when they heard this message. You kind of had to take a side. 
there were guys like King Agrippa that tried to play it neutral. And he said to, he said to Paul, you know, if you keep preaching, I, I might become one of you. Paul says, well, I wish you were just like me, except for these chains. I pray that you were just like me. But most, most often you see people either getting radically saved, getting terribly angry, or keeping their distance. Because that message demands something of you. When you're confronted with the reality of Jesus, he is a stumbling block. And to those that embrace that, he is a choice cornerstone of our life. But to others, they stumble over it and they're, they're angry about it. So here he says, we've been all of these things. I'll read it to you again. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not despairing. To despair means to be without hope. He says, we're persecuted, but we are not forsaken. That's a big thing. Though we may be hunted down wherever we go, though people, there were people that took a vow not to eat until he was dead. But he says, in all of these things, we are not forsaken. I don't know how many times I've told you guys this verse, but it's one of my favorites in this whole book. I say that a lot. But I love... I mean, I say that about a lot of verses, and, and, but if I had a lot of kids, I'd say the same thing about them, you know? You, you just love them all. But there's one that really, whenever you're feeling like you're alone, or you're feeling like you're, you're the one person standing by yourself, I always love to look at that, that verse, and most of you know where I'm going, where the Apostle Paul said, at my last defense, no one stood with me, everyone forsook me, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me. All my friends left. Nobody showed up at trial, but the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me and he rescued me out of the mouth of the lion. I love that because what it tells me is as much as we like friends showing up and supporting us, as much as we would appreciate those that we've helped in the faith sticking up for us, if everybody forsook you, if everybody ran away, if everybody was too chicken to stand up for you, the Lord himself stands with you. And he does what no one else could do. He strengthens you and he rescues you. The Apostle Paul knew this firsthand. He says, we're persecuted but not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. He says this, we are always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. That's a big thought. You have to know how many times this guy was sentenced to death. In the very first chapter of 2 Corinthians, we read how he said, I had this, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. We thought we were going to die. And we thought God was just going to have to raise us from the dead. But God rescued them. And he says he rescued us from so great a peril. He is rescuing us, and he will yet rescue us. What a proud statement. What a powerful statement. And here he says, we are constantly caring about in our bodies the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. We are constantly, in verse 11, I'm, I, I kind of mixed 10 and 11, but let me read 11 to you again. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. See, I've heard these few verses that we just read misused a lot. People use it for all sorts of things. I want to tell you, he's pretty clearly talking about persecution for the word. Persecution for the word's sake, which is what Jesus said would happen. He's not talking about God keeping him home with the flu so he couldn't preach the gospel. You're not, he's not talking about, you know, um, 
just, just God knocking him on his back so he could see up. He's very clearly talking about the fact that people want his life, want him dead, are persecuting him, are afflicting him. And all of these things, he says, we are constantly being delivered over to death. How many times was this guy sentenced to death? And one time, they actually carried it through. Uh, two times, obviously. One time was, was the end of his life. He got his head chopped off. But there was another time where it says they actually stoned the guy, as far as they knew, to death. Now, the Bible doesn't clearly say whether he was dead or not. I believe that God could have easily raised that man from the dead. But either, either he was raised from the dead or he was so close. Because as we've said before, these guys that stoned him were the kind of guys that would know when someone was stoned to death. This was something they really were good at. This was something they really relished. This was something that they uh, knew about. They leave the, the apostle Paul to die after throwing rocks at him until they think he's dead. They drag him out of the city, not even having the decency to bury the man, thankfully. They leave him outside the city and it says he's surrounded by a group of disciples. I used to read that and just think it was coincidence, you know? Just happened to be some disciples there. They just watched him as he got up. But as I've begun to understand what it's like to be a part of a community of disciples, I, I figured something out, at least what I believe. I don't believe those guys were just standing around him looking at him the whole time. Because once you hang out with some on fire for Jesus believers, you know what they were doing. You know those people were praying for Paul. And it says he got up and that crazy apostle walked right back into the city that stoned him to preach again. These are the kind of guys, they're so sold out to Jesus. They're bond servants of Jesus Christ. These are the guys in the book of Acts now, this is before Paul's time. It was the other apostles, but the same spirit in them. These are the guys that get, that get caught preaching, get rounded up, put in prison. An angel comes, lets them out, and tells them to go right back into the public temple and preach again. He doesn't say, he doesn't say oh, guys, I'm going to let you loose. This time, keep a low profile. I can't keep doing this for you guys. You need to start something underground here. Please. I mean, I'm working overtime trying to get you out. I had to put a guard to sleep. I had to do all these things. Can you just ease up here? We need you to live a little longer than two years. No, he gets, the angel delivers him and says, go right back where they caught you last time and start preaching again. I love that. You see, when you're sold out to Jesus, and here's the thing, when you fear God, and I'm not talking about fearing God like being scared of him. I'm talking about the godly fear of God. When you fear God, you don't fear anybody else. A bondservant of Jesus Christ who knows that they're not just a bondservant, but they're a son or daughter of the king. That person will not be scared off or bribed or any other thing. When you know that Jesus sent you, that's where you're going. And nobody else really, their opinion, you might like their opinion, but it really doesn't matter. If the Lord sent me, that's where I'm going. He says... We might be constantly delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, but here's the result. The life of Jesus is also manifested in our mortal flesh, not just in the sweet by and by. You know what mortal flesh means? Physical, it's going to die someday. Body. We're seeing the life of God, not just in our spirit, but in our body. That's cool. How many times did that guy have to get healed? How many times did he have to get delivered from death? Here's what he says. 
So death works in us, but life in you. What does that mean? Because as an apostle, what he's saying here, he's saying we've had to deal with some things. We've had to face death. We've had to face imprisonment. We've had to face beatings, not just for the sake of doing it. We did this for you. You see, this was not pointless pain that they went through. This wasn't just, well, you know, I just beat us up. I guess we got nothing better to do. They did it. This, this was a purpose behind it. And he says this several times. If you read through this book, it's apparent over and over and over again. Everything we've had to go through, we did so the gospel could get to you. Everything we ever had to put up with, we did so the life of God would reach you. And that was more valuable than anything else. See, he considered this ministry full of glory and worth everything. I love in, in the book of Romans where he says, I do everything for the sake of the gospel. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. And I read that and I go, I believe that. And that's kind of a theme verse. And I, I want to put that on a t-shirt. But in reality, you've got to think that through. I do everything. Everything in my life is aligned for the sake of the gospel. That's a big commitment. You know, where you live, where you work, how you raise your kids. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. This guy is sold out. I want to be just in that same vein. I want to be just like that, where you say everything in my life has been ordained by God so that this gospel could be preached to the ends of the earth. Can I just stop on that point just for a minute and say this? There are people called by God in every, well, not every, but in almost every vocation on this planet. I suppose there's some vocations which God doesn't really approve of. But, I mean, I'm talking about the ones where you're actually getting a job done. And we have got to see those as God sees them. You see, God can provide for you. God will provide for you. The point of your job, yes, we're, we're meant to work, right? The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. It says a man that doesn't provide for his family is no better than a pagan. But here's the deal. Our job is not just a paycheck. It's our mission field. It's our ministry field. And guys, if you can't say honestly... When I say guys, I mean guys and gals. If you can't say honestly that God wants me in this job, spend some time praying about it. Because either he, he's put you there for a reason, or you need to think about moving, some, moving something around, switching to another place. Because I believe that where you are, where you spend 8 to 13 hours of the day, that matters. That's most of your life. You better believe that should be ordained by God. You better believe it should be his idea where you are. And I believe it can be. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Here he says, we, we faced all sorts of things. So the life of God would not just be manifested in our body, but here he says in verse 12, so the life could be manifested in you. Verse 13, but having the same spirit of faith. So he says, death works in us, life in you. It's interesting. They're both believers, aren't they? But he is somebody who has taken it on as his mission to preach the gospel where it hasn't been preached, to go and carry it where it hasn't been carried. And he's having to put up with some things they don't have to put up with because that's, that's what he's called to. He's an apostle. Apostles, 
especially in the early church, these apostles. He said, my mission, the thing that God called me to was to name Jesus where he hasn't been named. Don't you know where he has not been named? You might not have a friendly crowd the first time you preach. I mean, you're not just saying, Jesus goes well with all your other idols. I think, I think you'll find that his beard is quite fetching. And uh, if you put him right in the right light, he'll add, I mean, just right next to, I mean, just stick him right next to Zeus. And I think you've got it. I think it'll just round out your, it just, it will round out the whole section of gods you have here. I, I mean, this is, this is what the pantheon is missing. This guy. That's not what he says. You've got to turn from these idols and turn to a living God. It challenged everything in their life. No better example than in Ephesus where they took all their books of magic and these aren't just like, you know, like some nerd in the basement learning some spells to impress somebody. These are spells that they believe were important. These were these are sorcery that they believed uh, helped them earn their living and, and kept them in the game. And these are things that they believed kept them healthy and kept from somebody else putting witchcraft on them. And they had to forsake that. And they, they, they threw those in the fire in front of everybody. And, and the amount of what was burned was, was an astronomical figure at the time. Because the Jesus that was being preached was not just an add-on to your life. It was life. And I believe that's for us too. The Jesus that's been preached to us is not just an add-on, it is life. So when you go and preach that to people that haven't heard it before, you're going to have people that embrace it, and you're going to have people that just don't like you. And he had to put up with that. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. We all need to hear this, don't we? You know, I was talking to another pastor this past week, and we were talking about, there's a quote by Francis of Assisi that's meant to be a good quote, but it's been kind of misused. Francis of Assisi said, and whatever you think of him, that doesn't matter, but it's a good quote, where he said, you know, I, I want to preach the gospel at all, all times, everywhere, and if necessary, use words. You know, there's a guy that did preach the gospel. Whether you agree with his theology or not, that's another issue. But he did preach what he knew. But people take this quote and they want to put it on their bumper sticker as a way of saying, so I don't have to say anything right on. I'll just smile at people more. <laughs> and the light will be, I mean, they'll just, I'll smile at people more. They'll go, my day has been made a little bit better. What must I do to be saved? <laughs> but you know, that doesn't happen. The say, I mean, the Bible says, how could they believe if they've not heard? How will they hear if no one preached to them? Right. And how can you preach if you've not been sent? So here, this is, this is such a verse that you need to hang on to. If we believe, we speak. It's natural. Guys, if you believe the sky was falling, would you just keep that a secret? If you believe everybody on the planet was sick, but you knew the cure, would you just shut up about it? No, you wouldn't. We believe the greatest message the world has ever heard. We believe it. We believe that God bridged the gap 
that man caused with its sin, that God himself sent his own son to bridge the gap and to bear the punishment for our sin. And that is such a good news, a good message. And if we believe it, we speak it. In verse 14, he says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Thank God there's a day of presentation coming. And here he says this, I don't want to spend too much time on that. For all things are for your sakes. So everything we've had to go through has been for you. You know, if you were to read this and go, oh, this is just the Lord teaching Paul a lesson, you're misreading it. He said, we did all of this for you. This wasn't for our good, it's for your good. We went through all this stuff, prison, beating him, I mean, death threats, so that we could preach the gospel to you, so you would hear this message, so that you would be fed with the life of God. All things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. That's why we don't give up. I've had these thoughts before where, I, where you feel a touch of despair because you say, am I making a difference? I've got no interest in a, in a paycheck for paycheck's sake. I've got no interest in keeping a pulpit warm that does not appeal to me. I wanna know that I'm making a difference. I wanna know that somebody's different because I exist. Not for my glory, but for his. I, I know I've been created for a purpose and, and there've been times where you say, am I making the difference? Is it affecting anybody? And that makes all the difference in the world. When you face trials, when you face tough stuff, when you face hardships, when you face persecution, it makes all the difference in the world to know that the grace of God is spreading through you to somebody else. And because of this, we don't lose heart. We don't give up because we know it's making a difference. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Wow, isn't that awesome? Your, your fleshly body will go down to the grave someday if Jesus tarries. But thank God your inner man is renewed every day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Far beyond all comparison. I want us to stop and look at this. On one side, we have momentary. What does momentary mean? It's there and then it's done. Momentary. On the other side, we have eternal. On one side, we have light. On the other side, we have weight. You see, it's, it's best to compare what you're going through to what you have waiting for you and to what's working on the inside of you. So we've got to learn in life what's light and what's heavy, what's worth thinking about and what's not worth thinking about. Here he says, guys, all of this stuff we've had to go through, stop feeling sorry for me. I know when you're reading this letter, you're starting to feel sorry for me. Stop it. For this momentary, temporary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. And it is far beyond all comparison. I love what he says there. It's far beyond all comparison. That eternal weight of glory is so big, is so heavy, it's not even worth comparing to this little stuff we've had to go through to get the gospel to you. 
You see, in life, we think that sometimes, we just think that some, things are so big and things are, oh man, God, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, why have you forsaken me? Oh God, I mean, my, my, I just can't believe what I've had to go through. I, I, I think I lost a promotion because I gave somebody a Bible. It wasn't much of a promotion, but it was something. I, you know, and you got to look at this and say, oh my goodness, if you knew... If you knew the glory that awaited for you, not just awaited for you in heaven, but the glory that comes with this message, that it abounds in glory, it's not worth being compared to it. This little stuff we got to go through to get the gospel out is nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. They're not worth being compared at all. I mean, it's just, it's not even close. Can you imagine a sprinter in the Olympics? winning the gold medal, coming across the line, getting his medal. And when they interview him and they say, oh man, how do you feel right now? My leg hurts. That was really hard. You guys don't know I couldn't eat cheeseburgers for like a month. You know, you don't get it. I don't know if it was worth it. It was just, there's a medal, but you know, we get those. I could make one at home. It's just really hard being an athlete. That's all I want to say. And, and for those, you know, few seconds that I was running, I felt like I was going to get a cramp. And I heard people in the crowd cheering for the other guy. Do you know how that feels? How, what it does to your self-esteem? Come on, they're not talking about anything like that, right? All that training, all of those workouts, all of those early mornings, all of that dietary changes none of it mattered when they got that gold medal it was more than worth it they don't cry about what they had to go through they rejoice because the reward is far outweighing the what they had to go through to get there oh man we're just not looking at the right thing we got to fix our eyes first of all on jesus but you know it's not wrong to know that there's a reward waiting for the faithful it's not bad. Sometimes we feel, oh, I shouldn't think about that. I don't know if God would want me to think about that. So the Bible says, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. The Bible says that in order to please God, we've got to have faith that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, you can't please God unless you believe that he rewards the diligent. So let's stop being falsely modest. I don't care about rewards. Start caring because the Bible tells you to care. That's not the only reason you do it, but it gives you something to look forward to. How many times did the apostle Paul say, but I know I've got a crown waiting for me. And it gets me excited. And I can, I can go through stuff. I can, I can put up with this junk. That's only temporary. You know, sometimes, it, and we've talked about this at funerals before. I mean, talking about believers that, that died in Christ, that went to sleep in him. And you think about the amount of time we're gonna have to be apart and we miss them, you know? There's people I miss dearly. But you think about how long eternity is. It can't be numbered, it's eternity. You think about that person who's already gone to the other side and they're with Jesus. For them, They've stepped outside of time and into eternity. 
60 years compared to eternity is nothing. It's the difference between you being right behind me as we walk out the church doors. And as I walk out the door and you're right behind me, I don't cry on the other side because I know you're coming right behind me. So on this side, we are struck with time. We're stuck in this linear time where it's, it, it is a long time and we miss them. We always wonder, you know, you may have wondered, do they miss me? And I hate to break your heart, but probably not. <laughs> and it's not just that it's so good on the other side. That, that's probably a big part of it. The other part is, it's nothing the time you're apart. Peter says, God's not slow concerning his promises. He's patient. But he says, he's not, he doesn't count slowness like we count slowness. He says, for him, a thousand years is like a day. Now, some people have taken that and taken that as a hard figure. A thousand years equals one day with the Lord. You miss the point. You miss the point. So they do their math. Okay, every time. Okay. His point is, time does not matter like it matters to us. To him, a thousand years, it's just like a day. Like it's just, he's, he's outside of time. So you get, you get these people that go on to be with the Lord. I miss them. It's not bad to miss them. It's, it's probably a very human and right to miss them. As long as you don't slip into grief and let that dominate your life. It's not bad to say, oh, I miss them sometimes. You know, I miss my dad. I mean, when I, whenever I go camping now or fishing or go to a museum or go to a fort, I miss my dad. It, does, it doesn't overwhelm me with grief, but I miss him. But I'm okay with the fact that he probably doesn't miss me because to him, I'm right behind him. I'm right behind him. I'll be there. It's all about what you're looking at. It's all about what you're comparing it to. If you're just looking at the stuff you're going through and that's all you're looking at, it will seem eternal, it will seem heavy. But when you compare it to the glory of God, this stuff seems light and momentary. I'm not saying that so you just don't think about it anymore. I believe in the God that, that I, I believe the word says that for everything you go through, God has also provided you a way of escape. I don't believe you're just supposed to wallow in it but I don't believe that you're supposed to give up because it started to get hard. Jesus talked about that shallow heart, that it was rocky at the bottom. The roots could never go down deep. It says they received the word with joy, but when persecution came because of the word, they fell away. As believers, we've got to have roots that go deeper than that. Jesus said persecution came not because you did something bad. Something bad. Jesus didn't say persecution came to teach you a lesson. He said persecution came because of the word. Why? Because there is an enemy. He doesn't want that word to get out. If he can get you to quit before and get you to stop preaching it, get you to stop spreading it, mission accomplished. But if your roots go down deep into that stream of life, like a tree planted by the water, that when things get tough, you need to know what to compare it to. This is not worthy of being compared to the eternal weight of glory. This is light. This is heavy. The heavy stuff is what you think about. The light stuff you shrug off. When it says Jesus despised the shame on the cross, our word despise has come to mean that we actively hate something. But that's not what the, the, the English word despise meant when the Bible was, when that translation was written. It's not what the, the original Greek word means. To despise means to take of no account. 
to take it lightly, not even to, to, to give it any more thought. To be despised meant that people didn't really give you any account. They didn't think about you that much. You're just not worth anything. When it says that Jesus despised the shame, didn't mean he was up on the cross going, I hate shame, stupid shame. No, it says he despised it. In other words, he didn't count it as anything. It wasn't going to dominate him. It wasn't going to affect his decisions. He, 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 he just he said that this is not worth being compared to the sacrifice being made and the joy set before me. Verse 18, we're gonna wrap up in the next few minutes here. But we all, it says, I'm sorry, in verse 18, while we not, look not at the things which are seen. Do you hear that? We look not at the things which are seen. That seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Things which are seen, we don't look at. That's not what we spend our time thinking about. It's not what we spend our time reaching for. It's not what we live our lives for. While we look not at the things which are seen, but which on the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. All of the promises of God, do they fall into the temporary or eternal? Eternal. This little stuff that you have to go through, it may be seen, but it is temporary. Money is temporary. God's provision, eternal. All of these things, and I'm just using it as one example, but oh, there are a lot of things that are temporary. If you spend your life trying to get temporary things, you've wasted it. But if you spend your life on the kingdom of God, with eternity in your heart and eternity on your mind, then all these things will be added unto you. Don't focus on the temporary, because the temporary is not worth much of anything. It's the eternal that is worth everything. You know, I believe, and I love, I love reading the accounts of the men and women that Jesus healed, that he rose, the people that rose from the dead. It's wonderful. Do you know what happened in Lazarus? one of the most famous miracles of, of Jesus' whole ministry on the earth. But you know, much bigger than him being raised from the dead was him having the eternal life and his name written into the book of life. Because you know what? Lazarus is not alive somewhere working at a gas station with Elvis. Even though he was risen from the dead, he eventually did die. All those people that were healed, they eventually did die. You know what? It doesn't negate the healing. The healing is still miraculous and wonderful, and I believe we want to see those today as well. Yes. But that's not the biggest thing. Jesus told his disciples, hey, I'm pumped too that the demons ran away, that the lepers were cleansed, that people were healed. But he says, don't just rejoice in this. If you're going to rejoice in something, rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, I am so thankful that God works and manifests in the physical and in the, in the, in the, the realm that we can see. God is not absent from that. He is directly involved in that. I believe that with all my being, but I believe that the most important thing and the thing that we set our eyes to is the eternal because that is far more weight than anything else and when you fix your heart on the eternal the temporary gets taken care of that also causes you to endure when you think you could have given up when you think you could have quit stop looking at 
at the temporary light stuff that's being thrown at you. First of all, know that your God is bigger than that. You get thrown in prison, do what Paul and Silas did, start praising God, see what happens. Right? Come on. If they had just been looking at the temporary, they would have sang sad songs, old style country songs. I said old style. They didn't sing songs of praise loudly, probably not very good. <laughs> All my favorite preachers sing bad, pretty much. I've stood next to them. I've heard them sing in my ear, and they sang with heart. Not well, but it was a beautiful sound because it was, it was just bold and loud and lovely. I don't imagine Paul and Silas had the best voices. That's just my guess. That's not biblical. That's just Jonathan. But they didn't focus on the prison. They focused on God. And that God delivered them. Abraham, the Bible says in Romans, he hoped against hope. It says he looked at his body and figured it's as good as dead. He looked at his wife, and I don't know what kind of look he gave her, but <laughs> it says he looked at her and said, her womb is as good as dead. I hope he didn't say it out loud. It's just things you just don't say. So we're not going to have a baby on our own strength. Then it says he considered God who was able to raise the dead, he considered him faithful and respect to the promises of God. In other words, what he looked at instead of his old dead wrinkled up body, what he paid attention, what he thought about were the promises of God. And he considered him that made those promises to be faithful. It says, with respect to the promises of God, he wavered not in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Let's do the same, amen. Would you stand with me? Thank God. What's light and what's heavy in your life? What do you spend your nights thinking about? What do you wake up thinking about? And this is an honest question for you. Because what you spend most of your time thinking about is what is heavy in your life. Is what is weightiest in your life. You spend most of your time thinking about all the hard stuff. You're thinking about the wrong stuff. You begin to think about the glory of God. You begin to put, fix your eyes on Jesus. It's really true what the old song says. The things of this world become strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This is what I, this is how I want you to apply it. I want you to apply this word as it, as it hits your heart. And as the Holy Spirit brought it out to you, I want you to do everything that God said. But I also want you to take this very seriously. Consider what you spend most of your time thinking about. If you spend most of your time thinking about your balance checkbook, or if you spend most of your time thinking about what your kids are doing, if you spend most of your time worrying about things like that, it could be that you've given undue weight to the wrong things. The weighty things deserve our attention. If we put, put fix our eyes and our mind on the kingdom of God, this other stuff comes into proper perspective and alignment. I believe that. If you are overwhelmed with stress, if you're overwhelmed with discouragement, number one, I believe that the God who grants peace and comfort has that for you, that the peace of God will, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I believe that, that we cast our cares on him for he does care for us. But it also may be an indicator that your eyes are on the wrong thing. You're overburdened with discouragement and stress and depression. 
I encourage you to fix your eyes on the stuff that really is weighty and compare the two. Compare them as God compares them. You'll find that they're not even worth being compared to. My dad used to always say, mom will remember this. Dad used to always say, it's not even worth looking at. And he got it from some, I don't know what he got it from. He got it from a show or something that he saw when he was a kid. But he always say, it's not even worth looking at. And I think about that sometimes when there's little things that might have seemed like big things, but when compared to the glory of God, they're not even worth looking at. Thank God for his great mercy, his great grace, and his great glory. It's worth it. I believe the Apostle Paul, if you ever ever wondered, one of those moments, if you ever had a time machine that you'd go, like to go back to, I'd like to kneel down next to him as they took him outside the wall. They knelt him down, put his head on a block. I'd like to kneel down next to him and say, what are you thinking? And I imagine one of the things he'd say was, totally worth it. It was worth it. More than worth it. All the stuff he went through, he said, it's more than worth it to get the gospel to you. When you put, when you put God and his kingdom and the, the message that we've been called to preach in the relationship with him, which is your, your first purpose in life, you put those things at the top, I believe you'll say everything else, it's worth it. It's worth it. Anything I have to go through to get to you and get the gospel to you, it's totally worth it.